1: This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Weiner. Southern Baptists have been at the center of the Trump movement and a key force in right-wing Republican politics going back to the 1980s, but now the denomination has been rocked to its core by a massive sex abuse scandal, which has implicated some of the most important political activists in the church's leadership. Could the sex scandal change the Southern Baptists? For comment and analysis, we turn to Sarah Posner. She's the author of the book Unholy, How White Christian Nationalists Powered the Trump Presidency and the Devastating Legacy They Left Behind. It's just been published in paperback with a new afterword about evangelicals and the January 6th insurrection. Sarah's a reporter with Type Investigations. Her reporting and analysis on the religious right in Republican politics has appeared in The New York Times, The Washington Post, Rolling Stone, and The Nation. Sarah Posner, welcome back.
0: Thanks for having me, John.
1: Well, first of all, tell us the brief facts about the Southern Baptist sex abuse scandal. When did the first reports appear and how long were they covered up?
0: They were covered up for many years, in some instances, decades, Um, but this was all instigated by a 2019 uh, investigative reporting by the Houston Chronicle and the San Antonio Express News. These reporters spent years investigating the claims of people who had been subject to uh, sexual assault and sexual abuse by Southern Baptist church employees, leaders, et cetera, um, and that massive investigative report prompted, after some wrangling, it wasn't an immediate prompting, uh, the denomination to to hire an outside consulting organization to prepare a report for them, and that report came out last month. It was just absolutely explosive, detailed. Um, the the widespread uh, sexual abuse of, uh, of adults and children uh, by S- Southern Baptist uh, church employees and pastors and that the denomination basically covered it up, knew about it, had kept a database in their um, central offices uh, that they compiled on their own from Google searches. Uh, searched Southern Baptist and arrested um, to (laughs) compile their own database that they kept secret. Um, And this was was notwithstanding the fact that there were a number of women in particular who had uh, tried to raise this issue and get the denomination to pay attention. But it was obvious from public statements and the report itself that leaders were seeking to protect the denomination from negative publicity and also legal liability and had really pretty much kept this under wraps for a really long time.
1: So let me underline here, the search was for arrests in Southern Baptist. That is, these were criminal charges brought against pastors and other church employees and leaders, not just internal complaints.
0: Right. Those weren't the only things in the database, but that's how they compiled the database.
1: And and what are the numbers here? How many complaints did the report come up on involving how many pastors and church officials and employees?
0: I think it was uh, 700 instances of abuse and about 300 church employees.
1: And what happened to the people who filed complaints internally with, with their church leaders? What were they told?
0: One of the really disturbing aspects of of this entire episode is how the survivors of this abuse and assault were treated when they went internally to report these things. Some of them were told um, that they were of the devil one mother who called a, a very you know, prominent church to complain about her teenage daughter who had been um, assaulted was hung up on. Um, this was very much treated as, you know, you're, you're the problem if you're raising these kinds of concerns um, and we're not going to deal with them.
1: Now, the Southern Baptist Church leaders have said... They are not a hierarchical organization like the Catholic Church. They don't have a centralized leadership with the power to force churches to report abuses to a central registry. There's no policy churchwide of consulting a registry when doing hiring decisions. Local churches are autonomous, and so it was very difficult for the church leaders to monitor, keep track of, and assemble information about this. How much of this is true?
0: Well, it is true that structurally the Southern Baptist Convention is not like the Catholic Church. They do not have a pope. Uh, They do not have the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops equivalent. And and also, each church, the 47,000-some Southern Baptist churches in the United States, do not interact in the same way as Catholic churches do in terms of having, you know, there's the parish and there's the diocese and there's the, you know, that's what they're referring to. But the idea that the denomination is powerless to compel churches to ensure that people who attend their churches are not subject to sexual abuse and sexual assault is pretty cowardly because They do have a structure, they have an executive committee, they have a president, they have other officers of the denomination. And they have lawyers. And they have lawyers, right. (laughs) Um, And they were really, uh, there was a whole controversy a couple of years ago when they were deciding to do this outside report uh, about whether they should waive the attorney-client privilege so that the attorneys could talk to the outside investigators and ultimately they did, but there was a lot of resistance to that. And so, you know, they had the power to do that. They had the power to hide this for so long from from the Southern Baptist faithful. Um, So if they had the power to do that, then they probably have the power to compel the churches to at least do the kinds of background checks that any employer would do. You know, one of the things that came out in the Houston Chronicles reporting was how much churches just relied on a potential employee, a prospective employee's profession of their, uh, of their faith in Jesus Christ as a job requirement, as a job prerequisite without investigating other aspects of this person's background.
1: When I think of the Southern Baptists and white evangelicals in, in general, I think of their opposition to abortion. Would you say there seems to be a connection between opposition to reproductive rights and tolerance for sexual abuse? Well, I
0: think that What's happening here is a certain point of view about women and gender roles and whether uh, women should be believed or trusted when they accuse a powerful man of a misdeed. And so in the same way that they don't think women should have agency or control over their own bodies they have looked the other way or, or basically covered up the way that male pastors and other employees have used and abused their positions of authority to, um, to abuse and even assault women. And, and I would add, too, that not all the cases of uh, sexual abuse and sexual assault in the Southern Baptist Convention have been against women. There have been male uh, survivors as well.
1: Let's talk about the political background here. I I said in my introduction that, you know, the Southern Baptists are well known for their political activism. Is there any connection between the people charged with sexual abuse and the political activists in the church?
0: Well, absolutely. So in the late 1970s and early 1980s, there were two figures in the Southern Baptist Convention who plotted um, what was called a conservative takeover or in the words of the people who were carrying it out a conservative resurgence within the convention. They believed that the Southern Baptist convention and its seminaries had become these hotbeds of liberal ideas um, and they needed to take it back for this conservative literalist view of the Bible. Um, and the two people who set out to do that, you know, this was a very deliberate plan on, on these two, on these two men's parts. Um, were Paige Patterson, um, who was a very prominent Southern uh, Baptist theologian, and Paul Pressler, who came from a prominent uh, Southern Baptist family and was, um, at the time, a state court judge in Texas and um, also had been a state representative in Texas. And these two plotted the conservative resurgence, which was a very key part of the religious right because the Southern Baptist Convention is the largest Protestant denomination in the country and a very central feature of of the religious right, even as other evangelicals are part of the religious right and Catholics part of the religious right. Um, So these two are central key figures in that conservative. They are the drivers of the conservative resurgence. It cannot be overstated. And in the past four years or so, it has come out that both of them um, have uh, engaged in sexual abuse of people within their, you know, under their authority or employ. So Pressler, you know, who crusaded against abortion and homosexuality, um, has been accused of numerous men of raping them over many, many, many year period. And Patterson was removed from his position at a Southern Baptist um, seminary in 2018 after having been accused of sexually abusing women and also wanting to break, quote unquote, um, a woman who um, had been a victim of of sexual assault. Uh, So you look at this, these were the drivers of this conservative resurgence, as they call it, based on their claim that a literal interpretation of the Bible is, you know, against abortion, against homosexuality, for traditional gender roles and wifely submission to their husbands. Um, And these two figures for many, many years were involved in participating in and covering up sexual abuse within the denomination.
1: And sexual abuse of both men by other men, by themselves and women. Yes. So if the two men chiefly responsible for this so-called right-wing resurgence have both been discredited and dismissed because of their sexual misconduct, might that affect the political direction uh, of the church? Are there other leaders who have any politically different stance or, or do people who dissented from this political thing uh, all leave the Southern Baptist church?
0: Well, similarly to how this conservative resurgence played out in the eighties, people who dissent are basically forced out. Uh, So some very prominent people who either left or left because conditions had become so intolerable for them, were um, Beth Moore, who is a very popular uh, television and speaker and, um, and author, very popular among evangelical women who are sort of looking for a more feminist take. Although I would not, most secular feminists would not consider Beth Moore a feminist, but just Saying And so she left uh, over the sexual abuse scandal, but also because uh, the Southern Baptist Convention refuses to allow women to preach from the pulpit. And, you know, she made a very public stand about, you know, why, why should she, a Southern Baptist woman who is very experienced in preaching, be able to preach from the pulpit? Um, And so that was one example. And another very prominent example is Russell Moore, who's no relation to Beth Moore, um, who was the head of the denomination's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, which is basically the denomination's public policy arm in Washington, D.C. And Russell Moore uh, left recently because he was so shaken by finding out about the sexual abuse and also just the inaction and cover up by denominational leaders, You know, I would not say that either of them are any, they're not liberals, right? I mean, Russell Moore would not describe himself as a liberal at all. He would self-identify as a conservative. He agrees with the stance on homosexuality and abortion and, uh, you know, wifely submission and what's called gender complementarianism uh, of the denomination. Um, So here's somebody who has been the face of the Southern Baptist Convention for you know, a number of years, because of his role at the Ethics and uh, Religious Liberty Commission, but he was strongly disliked uh, by many people within the denomination, in part because he stood up on these on these um, sexual abuse issues, but also he was a very harsh critic of former President Trump. And he he became unwelcome.
1: You said he would not call himself a liberal, but I was a little surprised to see, that a significant minority of evangelicals and Southern Baptists do call themselves liberals. I think it's, what, 20% across the board and something like 10% of Southern Baptists call themselves liberal. What what do we know about these people and and what do they mean?
0: We do know, and we have known for a number of years, that about 20% of white evangelicals consider themselves Democrats or leaning Democratic. Um, That's why you see, you know, uh, in the past, however many election cycles, whether it's Mitt Romney or Donald Trump, um, that the Republican nominee gets, you know, roughly, you know, 79, 80 or so percent of the white evangelical vote. That's been pretty that's been pretty static for a number of years. Also, I guess I would ask, you know, for the ones who self-identified as liberals, what factors lead them to self-identify as liberals and also what factors lead them to self-identify as Southern Baptists? Because there are people who were raised Southern Baptists. They kind of drifted away from it. But if they got called out by a pollster... And they were asked their religion, they would say, I'm a Southern Baptist, you know, kind of reflexively. So there's a lot of factors going on here. It's not any real indication that white evangelicals in America are about to take some sharp left turn, which is something I think a lot of people have been wanting and waiting for for many years. It's that sort of perennial question, is the religious right dead? And if anything showed us that that was not the case, it was the presidency of Donald Trump. <laughs> so, um, so I, I think it's that's been a kind of static um, situation for quite some time, and I don't think it really signals any any significant change in in where white evangelicals stand politically in this country.
1: Sarah Posner. She's a reporter who covers the religious right in Republican politics, and she's the author of the book Unholy, How White Christian Nationalists Powered the Trump Presidency and the Devastating Legacy They Left Behind. It's just been published in paperback with a new afterword about evangelicals and the January 6th insurrection. Sarah, thanks for talking with us today.
0: Thanks so much for having me.